I would say you're going to hit moments of pain, but it is so worth it. Because anytime you hit those moments of pain, you have to, at least I question it. What am I doing? What, what, is this even worth it? Yes. Welcome to today's episode. If this is your first time listening, my name is Heather Parody. I am your host, and this show is for unconventional leaders. We want to celebrate those who are going against the grain, stepping up, using their voice, and making an impact in this world. Now, I wanted to have today's guest on, Katie Finkley, because when we think about making an impact in this world, I know sometimes my mind automatically goes to standing on a stage in front of thousands of people or being in the public eye or doing these huge, quote, quote, things that someone can point to and say, that person is making a huge impact in this world. And sometimes we look at celebrities, quote, influencers and all of that, and just kind of equate that for impact. However, there are so many leaders among us that are kind of a little bit under the radar, but are making some of the biggest differences in this world. And Katie, our guest today, is no exception. She is on the front lines of making cultural change in this world. She is the founder of Loving Well, Living Well, which is an adoption and foster care advocacy platform geared towards educating believers in their role in orphan care. She's also a foster mom, adoptive mom, biological mom, and passionate for orphan care and promoting the church's role in meeting the needs of vulnerable children. Katie has also worked with birth mothers pre and post placement. Today we talk about combating the myths, misunderstandings in adoption and foster care, bridging the gap between the person who quote doesn't want to become too attached to empowering them to see the big picture. We also talk about trauma and the brain and secondary trauma and all of the implications of that with foster care and adoption. I'm really excited to share this topic with you again because I really want to shine a light on what true impact in this world, true leadership actually is. And this subject's pretty uh, dear to my heart because my own dad was in foster care his entire life, was never adopted. And as a child, I grew up seeing kind of the implications of that um, on his life as a man and as my dad. And so I just really applaud Katie and people like her who are finding places in their homes and their hearts to love children who really need it. Listen, if you know someone who is a foster parent, adoptive parent, maybe they're considering doing that and they would find a lot of value in this conversation, would you please share that with them? We want to impact as many people as we can this year and definitely need your help to do it. So I really appreciate you sharing this episode with them. All right, friends, let's get into this interview with Katie Finkley. I, I feel like I've had this calling since I've been four years old. And I know that sounds 
sounds crazy, but, um, and I think that's a God thing. I think he was preparing my heart and my mind, but even as four years old, I knew that I was going to have children that didn't necessarily look like me. And I didn't know anybody that had adopted at all. Um, but I think God started preparing me then. My husband joked that, uh, I, I, and actually I believe him, but he said that when we went on our first date, (laughs) I actually said, how do you feel about adoption? If if you're not, if you're not, if your heart's not in it, let's just call it a day. I don't remember saying this. But it sounds like something I'd say. So I have to believe him and laugh it off. But um, it's always been something on my heart. And then as we have slowly taken those micro steps to get more involved in this arena, it, it's just a floodgate of, of knowledge. It also is a floodgate of doing your own soul searching. Um, and and I'm, st- I'm still on that path. So anything I share today, I always want to tell people, sometimes I get passionate and I might sound, it, it could even come across angry sometimes. I hope that's not the case, but I'm not above any of it. This is stuff I have learned and I hear patterns, especially in the church that I'm trying to combat, which is the entire reason I started Loving Well, Living Well, is to bridge that gap between the person that might say something flippantly like, oh, I could never foster because I'll get too attached. And then having the conversation, well, that that kid needs your attachment more than you need to guard your heart. And then just having that whole shift of mindset. I was there. Someone had to have that conversation with me. So that is the reason I started Loving Well, Living Well. And I'm still on that. I still, I even look back at my post from a couple of years ago and I see how much I've grown and how much God's changed me. And I would, you know, I'm almost embarrassed of what I posted two years ago, but I can't be. That's where I was at. And that's what I had known at that point. I was just listening to a show yesterday. They were talking about within business about a lot of times how we hesitate to take action because we're like, oh, I need to figure this out. And they're like, you don't figure it out until you start taking action. And that's what it sounds like you were saying is like, you've been figuring out this journey of how to love well and be a parent and do this thing uh, through taking action though. Because I think a lot of times we think, oh, well, I don't know enough about this, this, this to start. So correct me if I'm wrong, you and your husband, I mean, after y'all got married, y'all were like jumping in within a couple of years. Is that correct? Yes, we were. Um, we uh, we started going to um, conferences, specifically Christian Alliance for Orphans. It's called CAFO. It's this huge summit that meets various places. And we just learned a lot about adoption, a lot about foster care. And before we ever tried for a biological child, we started our adoption in Ethiopia. And since and in that process, Ethiopia, the government closed down adoptions. And um, so we just felt very strongly we wanted to adopt um, our first child. Then, then it kind of just went from there. <laughs> so did you go into the, did you go, did you foster first or did you adopt first? What happened? Yep. Yeah, we adopted, we adopted first. We had started in Ethiopia. We had a home study done from um, someone local here. Uh, our, our agency was actually in a full different state to deal with the international bureaucracy of adoption mm-hmm. when it's overseas. I don't necessarily mean bureaucracy in a bad way, but it is a lot of red tape. Um, Ethiopia completely shut their doors for adoption, which was heartbreaking because we had fallen in love with that people group. We had put down a lot of money, (laughs) a lot of time, and the government in Ethiopia closed down. So no one can adopt from Ethiopia right now. And um, we were just heartbroken. And then this was before we had kids. So I I jokingly say we were dinks, dual income, no kids. So we went to Italy, (laughs) something I'll probably never be able to just drop and do. But when you have dual income, no kids, sometimes it's easier. And um, I said, let's go to Italy, which we had planned. And when we get back, we'll talk about where we want to go from here. And my social worker who had done our adoption home study here in Tampa, which is where I'm from, but it was for Ethiopia, but I had met her here. She's the one that did it. She said, you know, there's a lot of ba- a lot of children right now in Florida that need placement. Like it's this it, r- right now, uh, especially if you're open to any race, uh, there's a lot of kids. In fact, so many kids that there's not an 
enough Floridians to adopt them, they're being adopted out by Amsterdam and Sweden. So those parents are coming over and they're doing an international adoption for our own American children. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly how it felt. So we landed back from Italy. um, I think it was October 5th of 2014. October 9th, I got a call about a a baby that was going to be due in five weeks. We just felt actually during that time, I got a call about three babies that that were going to be due very soon. Um, I can't remember the details of one of them. The other one, we just didn't feel right in our spirit about for, for various reasons. And then this baby, which is our, our baby, we felt very clear. Um, and we went forward. She was born six weeks later. From So from phone call to baby in arms, six weeks. You know, adoption is always painful. There's always pain. In a perfect world, there would be no adoption because the child would stay with their mother, with their father. But it's not a perfect world. Looking at the pain of it, but then not looking at the beauty out of ashes, it was just a beautiful scenario. Her um, birth mother really, really loved us. We were told in the hospital, she's not going to want to see you. She's going to be in mourning. She's in a state of like a funeral, even though it was very necessary. She placed the baby for adoption. I mean, it's still a big mourning. Um, And they said, she's not going to want to see you. And also don't jump for joy because you're having a party when someone else is having a funeral. Mm -hmm. She wanted to see me all the time. She wanted to see me holding my daughter, I guess our daughter at that time. And it gave her a lot of peace. And um, I really love her. Um, And I, we have an open adoption. I'm actually more open to the open adoption than she is. And I get it. Everyone has to deal with their pain in different ways. And she has not wanted to see us, not out of ugliness, but I think just out of healing and wanting to move forward. But we had we had a, an, an awesome first experience. And that's not everybody's experience. Sometimes it's a lot more traumatic for everybody, but ours was, was pretty wonderful. Now, one thing I've heard a lot is this statement, I don't think I could love someone else's child like my own. <laughs> yeah. What do you say? Um, that is a hard thing to hear. There's so many layers to that. First of all, for us, that's, for my story, that's not accurate. In fact, because I was handed this beautiful baby. I mean, all babies are beautiful, but she's extra beautiful because she's mine. You know, um, I wasn't healing. I wasn't breastfeeding. I wasn't, you know, I just had to drink more coffee. I was able to soak her in, in a way that my biological children, I and I didn't, I hadn't had biological children yet, but I didn't realize how hard the afterbirth process could be with all those other variables and you're just exhausted. So I felt like I actually bonded with her a little more intensely right off the bat. Wow. Um, that is my story. Um, I, I don't, I know not everyone has that story. And, you know, sometimes there is that, there is that wall. I mean, we are, we are, we are in a fallen world where adoption in a perfect world would not happen. So sometimes you have to push back past barriers and do some internal reflection. Like, why am I not able to bond with the kids? Sometimes, especially if the kid is older, there's trauma mm-hmm. and they're rejecting you, rejecting you, rejecting you, or just having behaviors that are very hard to love past, but you just have to, at, at least for me, look at the gospel. I mean, I'm unloving and God keeps pursuing, pursuing. And there's a lot of steps to move past that, lots of resources. But for the most part, with my friends that have adopted and that 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 sentence, I could not love someone else's child does not ring true. For the most part, I can understand how there's some variables. In fact, I had a friend the other day, she was joking because we, my, my husband, and I do want to adopt again, we might have one other biological, I don't know, we'll see. My, my friend who's an adoptive mom and a biological mom was joking. She's like, I had too many biological children just to adopting Katie. <laughs> she was kidding because she just knows the bond is just this special. Yeah, I love that. Now you, so you went from adoption and then you had a biological child. Is that yep. correct? And then you went into yes. foster care. Is that correct? Yeah. 
Um, we went into foster care. We had, so I told you earlier that our adoption process in Ethiopia had crumbled. And so we adopted local with that same agency. We were able to retain some of the financial and our heart was still okay. International adoption. Um, so we moved some of the financial and paperwork and stuff to China, the China adoption process. But, but it was a long wait, a long process to wait. And um, in the meantime, the county that we're in is just hemorrhaging kids into foster care mm-hmm. um, for every reason. The opioid crisis is pumping kids into the foster care system in record number um, across the U.S. But everything is escalated. Domestic violence. Um, neglect. It, it's all just being escalated to a, a whole new level right now. Uh, we have 45% more kids in foster care than we did five years ago right now in our county. My husband and I just felt like we couldn't sit here while we're just waiting for the paperwork and everything in China for a year and a half. So we decided to start um, fostering and we did more short-term cases. And um, short-term could be a week, it could be seven weeks, and we fostered 11 kids um, in that time. And that was I. That was eye-opening. Um, it was eye-opening in the system. It was eye-opening what trauma looks like, what trauma manifesting trauma looks like. So nine of eleven of our kids' parents were in foster care. So that's a really hard pattern. And and I used to think the parent that lost their child to foster care was a monster and terrible. But real, now I realize that was a little five-year-old that never got loved and advocated for. And now it's growing up and having kids. And they're still that five-year-old that never got advocated for. Um, and they're pumping their kids into foster care. And I have not met a, ch- a, a parent that lost their kid that didn't love them. I used to think, oh, they don't love them. They, they love them just as much as I love my kids. They just don't have the skill set or foundation. Um, so, so we, so we went through that foster care process and then, um, December of, not this past year, but the year before, I thought I had the flu and I took a pregnancy test and it wasn't the flu. <laughs> so um, we had to stop our China adoption. And that was per the China government rules. You can't be pregnant and also. And then we took in a, one of our last placements and decided to just have a season of a break, um, especially if I was pregnant. And it's hard to be pregnant and run around and, you know, have morning sickness all day. And that's where yeah. we're at now. You, you said something um, that I heard in another interview and it was... I've never heard anyone put it like you did. You, you talked about, you know, people say, Katie, I, my heart, I can't handle doing, I can't handle foster care because saying goodbye and getting attached and I, my heart, my emotions, I, I just cannot become attached to these kids. I can't do it. You have a powerful response to that. What are your thoughts? This, and by the way, this was my thought process. So I am not above it. I just have been mentored in, in awesome ways. The response to I would be too attached is that child needs your love more than you need to guard your heart. And when someone told me that, <laughs> it was like, it just, it just blew my mind. Where I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm just thinking from the entirely wrong vantage point here. That child needs me more than I need to guard my own heartbreak. And it is heartbreaking. Not all of it. Not, uh, not all the time, there is an abundance of heartbreak. More so because the system is hard and I don't want to trash caseworkers or anything like that. I think there's a lot of great caseworkers, but there's a lot of gaps where these kids fall into a place that they should be supported. So that's the hard part is seeing that the judicial system doesn't really understand what I believe their best interest is. And that's me coming from a foster mom's perspective who falls in love with these kids and then seeing them being, you know, shuffled around to a, a place where they're not getting permanency. It's still, it, it, it is the hardest thing I have ever done. And it is the best thing I've ever done. 
how do you protect your, your, your marriage, your relationship, your self care, all that? I have some dear friends, um, who listen to the show. They've, they've taken in six children and they have one and they're my age, they're, they're thirties. And I think one of the things I hear them say, credible human beings, but they just say, we just never see each other and they're so tired <laughs> and I don't know what to tell them. Um, and I just would love to hear your perspective on how do you you know, create a healthy marriage and healthy boundaries and all of that when I know it is emotionally and physically exhausting a lot of the time. I have failed in this area. So I have learned because of the failures. First, I have had to tell myself, Katie, you are not Jesus. You cannot save everybody. And I know that sounds funny, but when placement, who is the the line of DCF or child placement that calls and says, oh, there's a kid that needs placement, there's always a kid that needs placement. And you have to realize you could be harming your kids in your home. You could be harming your marriage. And also, if you don't have that margin, you're hurting that kid. So someone else might have that exact skill set and margin. And by you saying no, it's putting the kid somewhere else. You just can't. I had to learn to say no. And it was really hard. Placement would call me at 11 o'clock at night and say, hey, I have a nine-month-old baby in the police station right now. She has nowhere to go. We've called for two hours. And I'll tell you how this, there's a lot of layers to this conversation. I said, well, bring her. And they said, well, she's black. And I said, okay, bring her. But I guess that's uh, an an issue still, which is always, you know, hard to even comprehend, but it is. Um, And then they said, oh, good. Thank you. Now we have to figure out what to do with her two-year-old brother. And I'm like, (laughs) bring him. Um, And I was getting the phone calls and that just rips your heart out. Um, And my husband was like, stop, just tell him no, just tell him no. And for our marriage, I had to sit down and say, when they call me about a baby, I don't know if I have, I don't know if I can say no, I need you to take the call. So in our marriage, that worked. So he got the call. And what was really good is he could understand for a first time what, what I was going through emotionally, but also he could give us the checks and balances. I'm kind of the kite and he's kind of the string. So it's a good, (laughs) good thing there. But you, you do have to say no in protection of your marriage. And we have said yes, in fact, to that sibling set. And then we took in another kid that kept boomeranging back to us. So we had our two um, plus these three. We had five kids under three years old and under five kids under three. I mean, it was not healthy at all for us. I remember I couldn't find my toothbrush and I just started sobbing. And I'm like, okay, this probably isn't about my toothbrush. (laughs) I'm probably just hanging by a limb. And looking back, that was not healthy. It was the hardest our marriage had ever been. So I think going forward, you just have to be really firm on as a marriage. what, what What is our margin? And everyone's margin is very different. Yeah. Um, what is our margin? Do we say one? Then let's stick with one. Unless God says very clearly something. And emotions aren't necessarily what God's telling you. Your emotions might say something, but if God says something very different and you both are on the same page, then you can change it. Yeah. Um, but I know that was a lot of words, but it's, it's, it's a hard it's a hard process to guard. You have to. And those kids that are coming from instability need a stable marriage to go to, yeah. not a marriage that's fighting and on rocks. That's not good. They need stability so that, that that marriage needs to come first before, really before the kids come first. One of the things we talk a lot about on the show or we have dove into more is, you know, intuition and really getting still and quiet and listening. And I think that's really hard when you're physically in a place where it isn't quiet. <laughs> so yes. can you just maybe share, give some ideas about just tuning in, listening, being able to hear in the midst of a lot of noise? Yes. Um, 7 p.m. bedtime on the dot. Everyone's <laughs> in bed by seven. <laughs> For me, staying in God's word daily. Um, I did not always do that well. And there were times I unraveled and was yelling in my 
driveway at caseworkers, not screaming, but yelling. <laughs> um, and there was nothing uh, healing about that for anybody. I was not, I was not helping anyone. No one was winning at that point. Um, but staying in truth. Also sharing, having a community of other foster moms, if, if that, that's key. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have so many moms at church when they could just see that I was just heavy and burdened. And I had one kid that was just my heartbreak child. And there's just an amazing story of redemption that's going on with him now. He's actually getting adopted by another family in my church. And I go to a small church and I'm in a huge county. So the fact that he wound up, he just kept boomerang. It's the kid I told you was boomeranging back to um, I would see I would see people and they would say, Oh, Katie, just give it to the Lord. Just give it to the Lord. And I wanted to scream and like almost shake them. And that felt so flippant. Now, if they were, if they were being flippant, I don't know. But one, I'd known they had never fostered. Um, and I wanted to scream like, yes, give it to the Lord. By the way, what the heck does that even mean? Like, like actually logistically, what does that mean? Yeah. But also we have to realize that the, the Lord of everything good is also the Lord of everything good. When Herod had every two-year-old and under drowned when Jesus, I mean, he didn't do that. We live in a fallen world, but like horrible things could happen. So that's not helping me. Like, what do you even mean? But to go to a foster parent, um, especially one that is firmly rooted in, in the truth of God's word was, was key for me. So they could speak truth and not just their own emotional angle of where they are, but come from the foundation. Um, that was a big deal. So foster parent friends are, are a need in that, in that pocket of time when you're in that sixth season of fostering. Now, now do you, do you work or do you stay at home? How do you, what's the logistics there? Yeah. I worked at an investment firm for 13 years, just until three months ago. Um, So when I was fostering, I was working full time. Um, Now my husband's excellent. He's a very hands-on dad and I would travel and and travel across the country while we were fostering too. It it works for us. Um, My kids went to a great daycare. A lot of times I could pop the foster kids into the daycare because our daycare would would take them. And that was really easy for us. But in Florida, foster kids get daycare vouchers and you can scope out what daycare you want to see that you feel comfortable with. And if that daycare takes the voucher, then it's paid for. Um, so I, I was working full time um, and traveling for work when we were, when we were fostering. Um, but I wanted to bef- kind of wrap up the the interview with this mission that you're on to educate the public on yes fostering. So like we said at the very, very beginning, it's one thing entering into that space yourself, coming to terms of this is your calling. And it's another thing to take on that mantle of teacher and advocate and all stuff that comes with that, because that's a whole new ball game. What led you down that path? Sure. Um, it was, it was the gap I was seeing specifically in the church. And by the way, I feel like people that may, maybe don't, um, align from the Christian perspective can still understand. And, and I have people that are, you know, considered non-Christians or just, you know, just nice people that are fostering. But my main avenue is the gap I was seeing in the church. Here's kind of where people come up and say, oh, I love that that's your calling. That's not my calling. And where I want to kind of push back gently, hopefully, sometimes I'm not always gentle about it, is that it's not a calling, it's a commandment. James 127 talks about widows and orphans, that's undefiled religion. But then it also mentions it 50 other times in the Old and New Testament, the fatherless or the orphans. Now, do I think everyone should be on the front line of fostering and having a foster kid in their home? No, I don't have a foster kid in my home right this moment. We're in a pocket that we need more margin. I have you know, a, a, a new son. This is our third kid, and we just needed to pause. But I think everybody can support 
bring a meal to the foster family, that is huge. And it's not just food. So when that foster family um, has visitation, the, the birth the, the biological parents have visitation. That is such a traumatic event for the kid because it's confusing. Even if they love their fa- their family, confusing. Why am I going to see him? And then I'm going back to this house and I love these, but I love them. And a lot of a lot of times that day, that kid is just absolutely unraveling after visitation. They don't their brain, their emotions, and just for some reason, some way to bring them a meal. You don't have to worry about cooking. Just get on the floor and roll a ball back and forth with that baby and calm that child down. Or the teenager, sit, just sit down with them and watch a movie. Don't worry about dinner, cleaning up. We're going to feed you. So bring a meal once a week. Offer to mow their lawn. Do something. And what we're seeing is when these wraparound, I call them wraparound or care groups are wrapped around a foster family and they're serving the family, let's just say once a month, they're starting to see the face of a child, and there's um, there's a pastor, his name's David Platt, and he says, once you see the face of an orphan, it changes everything. And it has. These people that are serving these kids, 30% of them are now foster parents because it just doesn't, it's not an anomaly anymore. You're seeing this cute little face and saying, oh, this is, you know, this I can do this. But if, if it's not the front lines, just do something. Even if taking the biological kids out fishing because they haven't been given as, as much attention as they should because the kid that's coming in from foster care is absorbing a lot of that, anything. So I think that a commandment to, to serve in that area is huge, but it can be done in so many different ways. Now, you said you, you felt this was your calling since you were a small child. Yeah. Knowing that's your calling and then actually living it for the past several years, how has it personally changed who you are as a human being? I, I think it's changed everything. Um, seeing other kids and tra- little kids in trauma makes you have to reflect maybe areas that you were neglected. I mean, I think, every, you know, maybe not on that spectrum, but maybe things that need to be healed because trauma brings out trauma. It's called post-secondary trauma, actually. Um, that aspect has been huge dealing my, with my own issues that maybe hadn't been healed. Another thing is um, I feel like I'm able to look at people past what they're doing. So even if I see a man on the news that just stole a car and beat people up or something like that, years ago, I'd have been like, oh, he's terrible. Um, and you know, there still needs to be accountability. So don't hear me out in the wrong way there. But I, I look at him and just see this was a child that grew up and had never had his needs met, most likely or it could very well be. And now he's growing up and acting them out. Um, so it, it does give a, a, more of an eye of compassion. Things aren't as black and white. They're more gray than they used to be, which in a way, it, it was easier to see things black and white <laughs> at times. Yeah. Yeah. Katie, I have one last question for you. Uh, but sure. before that, I want to give listeners an opportunity to connect with you, hear about what's going on. And also just want to acknowledge you. Thank you for, if this show is for unconventional leaders and you are leading in a way that a lot of people wouldn't have the courage to do. And it's something that's mm-hmm. so needed, so needed. And I know sometimes it probably feels like there's not a lot of reward. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot, a lot of work that people don't even realize. So thank you from us for just the incredible example oh. that you're giving us to stepping into our calling. But where where can people find you, connect with you if they are considering adoption or foster care? Maybe they're in the midst of it and are just so tired. What resources yes. are available? 
Yes, absolutely. So um, Loving Well, Living Well, it's on Facebook, Instagram. You can email me at Katie at Loving Well, Living Well. Um, the first thing when, when people say, what is a resource that I can use to even understand trauma? I might have trauma. We're also seeing a huge swing of NICU babies, like biological children that had to go in the NICU. Um, they're experiencing a lot of the same trauma that even foster because it's an attachment. You know, the child's supposed to be right there with the mom, but sometimes they can't. The parent didn't do anything wrong, obviously, but still... We're, so trauma, well, how do I even deal with it? Um, my number one resource I send people to is Dr. Karen Purvis's book. It's called The Connected Child. That is incredible. You can even Google videos and you can see short captions of how she talks about um, disciplining a trauma child very different. So that's the, the absolute best first stepping stone. Awesome. Awesome. And all of yeah. your links, Katie will be in the show notes, guys, please connect there. Check out her Instagram. She has like these myth buster things about foster fostering and uh, just lays out some truth. I love, I love it. Very last question. I, I just yeah. kind of reverse time a little bit. Let's say you and your husband had just got married and you're like, do you want to adopt? Do you want to foster? He's like, yes, ma'am. And y'all are about to start down this journey, start on this path. Super excited, uh-huh. passionate. Uh, but still completely unaware of where this was going to take you and just these incredible experiences and heavy experiences I'm sure you've had. If you were to go back and sit with Katie back then, she just left Italy and sit with her and say, girl, let me tell you one thing. What would that be? Mm, Oh, goodness. I would say you're going to hit moments of pain, but it is so worth it. Because anytime you hit those moments of pain, you have you, you at least I question it. What am I doing? What? What is this even worth it? Yes. And then coming out from the back and you know from the end of it, but then going eventually back into some other situation of pain. Yes, it is totally worth it. And I think there's a beauty in going in, <laughs> going in naive because if you on paper just had every list of crazy that you were going to experience, you, you probably would run. But that's not how life works or at least for me, there's just a building of character, a refining, a sanctification process that builds you to another level of understanding so you can take on the next pain a little bit wiser. So I would just say, push through that pain. It, it hurt. And, and then also when you find that pain, lean on other adoptive and foster parents. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you have not subscribed yet, please head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and hit that subscribe button. And also, if you have a second, leave us a review. Lastly, we have a private Facebook group. If you are looking for a tribe of like-minded leaders who are unconventional in their approach, but dedicated to making an impact, head over to Facebook and type in unconventional leaders, and we will be sure to add you. You guys have a great week.